0: This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit.
1: Browns are going to win! field,
0: touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorschuk from the Canton Repository. It's
1: intercepted! Picked by Dixon Ward! Chubb will take this off. Browns fans,
0: now Cover Two, a podcast
1: on the Cleveland Browns. Everybody, welcome back to the Cover Two podcast, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns from the Akron Beacon Journal. This is Dan Kader, joined by Browns beat writer Nate Alrich. Nate, how are you? Good, Dan. How's it going? very good even though it's been snowing out today so we record this at about 4:30 on on tuesday we're going to look ahead to sunday's game against the i'm saying this kind of with my tongue in cheek first place philadelphia eagles of course that game is at one o'clock it's on fox it's in cleveland so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about uh, um, probably a little bit about how the browns did in their last game 10 to 7 win over the Houston Texans. We'll probably touch on that, but the story of the week really Nate is, you know, last time we talked, it was it was a little bit about how the Browns haven't really had much to worry about with coronavirus and you know the the ramifications from that. You know, we've seen some teams like the Tennessee Titans or their schedule has been shifted around because of it, but the Browns until this week, were really not much affected. They're not, as far as we know right now, changing anything going forward, but they had a player in fullback, Andy Janovich, who uh, had coronavirus. So, Nate, what is kind of the next step for the Browns in how they move forward with this happening?
0: Well, it kind of really started over the bye weekend. Uh, You know, so not this past weekend, but the previous weekend, there was a non-coaching staff member who had tested positive and the test result came back on Saturday. So then Sunday, uh, Baker Mayfield was deemed a high risk close contact and he had to go on the reserve COVID-19 list. Well, the Browns are very fortunate that they happen to be off. That Sunday, otherwise Baker Mayfield all of a sudden can't play in a game. So the timing really worked out for them. He continued to test negative, and he was back at practice uh, by Wednesday. And, of course, he he played in the game this past Sunday against the Texans. But two days before the game on Sunday, this past Friday, offensive lineman Chris Hubbard tested positive for COVID-19. He went on the reserve. COVID-19 list and then Monday Andy Janovich tested positive for the virus so the Browns hadn't had any players test positive for the virus since August early August when training camp was getting underway when players were reporting and then like the first handful of practices were in the books and there were you know four or five players who tested at that time positive It's really been under control since then, but now you have two guys on the offensive side of the ball who are on that list. Now, the interesting thing is, Janovich played Sunday. He played 15 snaps at fullback. He played 11 special teams plays. But however they figure out this high-risk close contact um, via the, the contact tracing, the Browns completed that today. And they had no high-risk close contacts identified despite him playing in the game. They also had no high-risk close contacts identified for Chris Hubbard. If they if they had high-risk close contacts, those guys would have to go on the COVID-19 list as well. So Kevin Stefanski has made it a point whenever he talks to the media about this stuff that they've really tried to go above and beyond with all the protocols they've tried to make it part of their 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 life their way of being in inside that facility in berea to avoid being uh characterized as high risk close contacts with each other they wear the the tracking devices around their necks like it's like a necklace and it it lights up with, if they're within six feet with one another. So the key is obviously, and I, I don't know all the, the numbers and the, the, the technical definitions, but you obviously don't want to be within six feet of anyone. In football, you have to be at times, but there, you obviously want to minimize that time. You don't want to be within six feet of anyone for an extended period. So Dave structured the everything around this the meetings are spaced out uh you know the meeting rooms the locker rooms all all of that and they've been in intensive protocol since last week because of the chris hubbard um actually it might have been because of the 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 non-coaching staff member they were in intensive protocol last week and the media schedule changed as a result players used to talk before practice now they talk after At the Beacon Journal, we have these glorious 6.15 p.m. drop-dead deadlines, so that's really fun. Um, But (laughs) this week, same thing. They're going to be in intensive protocols. It reduces the time that the players are in the building in Berea. They do all virtual meetings. It also requires them to wear masks or face shields during practice, and uh, this is just kind of the way of life for the Browns right now, and you know... It, it looks like they're going to be in intensive protocols for the foreseeable future here with, with two players in, in consecutive
1: weeks testing positive. Yeah, the whole thing is a little strange to me, just how I, I guess I'm I'm left to assume that the, the Browns are just, for now, as, as far as we know, again, we're recording this late Tuesday afternoon, that the Browns are just kind of dodging a bullet here where... Okay, this this fullback was in 15 snaps on offense, but that doesn't mean he spread coronavirus to somebody else on the field, or on the sidelines, or in the locker room. So I, you know, without knowing every single detail of how the NFL is functioning around this, I guess I guess we're just left. It's the assumption that the Browns dodged a bullet and just monitor it moving forward and and see what develops. It's it's just weird. Uh, I know that they're yeah,
0: it is weird. In some sense, they did they did dodge a bullet of the close high risk close contacts both times with Hubbard and Janovich. Right. Well, we don't know. More tests could pop up as this week unfolds. More positive tests could pop up. They get the um they get Tested daily. Everybody, all the players and staff. And then they get those results back the next day. So every morning, there's a potential for bad news for every team in the NFL.
1: Right. So, right. I don't know. It, it's not going away. So it, this is just going to be a thing that we we continue to to watch going forward. But fortunately for now, um, it's it's not as big of an issue as it has been for other teams for the Browns. And that's good because uh, the Browns for once are having a really good year. They're six and three now that puts them right in the midst of the playoff hunt. And Nate, any other year, I think, you know, the Browns at six and three, it wouldn't be just in the hunt for the playoffs. It would be okay if they win this many more games are going to be in. Unfortunately for the Browns, while they're six and three, there are a ton of AFC teams that are also six and three. You have the Colts who are in first place in the AFC South, so that's a little different, but then you have the Raiders who are six and three, who the Browns lost to. You have the Dolphins who are six and three. You have the now the Ravens are six and three, which is fascinating. Browns, of course, are six and three, and the Titans are six and three. Nate, how much of of this season is now transitioning to a scoreboard watching for for Browns fans or for the Browns themselves. I mean, it's, it's so tight in the AFC playoff race right now.
0: Yeah. I think we're already in that mode for sure when it comes to scoreboard watching. So, you know, we talked about how crucial this, these back-to-back home games are in this mm-hmm. playoff picture for the Browns. The t- they got it done against the Texans. They need to beat the Eagles at um, home. And then continue to beat the teams they're supposed to beat at Jacksonville. Now, here's the interesting one, Dan. At Tennessee, I think that, you know, for a long time playing the schedule game, I've marked that down as a loss, but they're right there at six and three. Just like you said, uh, you know, if the Browns can pull that one off, that'd be huge. I mean, It's certainly, in my mind, a a greater chance of that than beating Pittsburgh or Baltimore. So, I think that the Titans game is a huge one. And, you know, you've got to continue to take care of business against other teams. That's who you have left. You you know, Philly, it's not going to be a layup, but it's at home. It's a, you know, take care of business time like it was against the Texans. Again, that, that obviously wasn't a layup. Then, then you play at Jacksonville. You should take care of business there at Tennessee's huge Baltimore. We know how lopsided week one was. Then you're going to MetLife stadium back to back weeks, giants and jets giants have come on a little bit here. You know, uh, the giants just beat the Eagles this past right. weekend. And then the Steelers in the finale. And the question is are the Steelers going to be playing their, their top stars in the finale. What's their, are they going to be unbeaten? What's, what's all that look like?
1: I, yeah, it's going to be, for me, it's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching. I, I'm kind of starting to feel like this Titans game, which we've alluded to literally, I think every podcast we've recorded this season, I'm starting to feel like that game might be a playoff eliminator, uh, to some degree, I mean, I, I know it's in three weeks, so it's there's there's four games after it, but boy, that that game is is going to be massive, especially if if both teams win the next couple of weeks. But uh, before we get to that, Nate, of course, let's let's talk about what the Browns have to do against the Eagles. Uh, they're three five and one. Like you said, they just lost to the Giants, who. Well, the Giants are coming on there. They're terrible. Um, but the Eagles are in first place in their division. They're a classically pretty good team. Um, is What do the Browns have to do in this game to win? Because we saw against the Texans, they went super, super run heavy. And it worked. Uh, it worked well enough. You know, Baker Mayfield only had to throw 20 passes. They ran the ball 41 times. Is this the new Browns offense? Is is that what we're going to see against the Eagles? And can that be effective against teams that aren't as bad against the run as the Texans are? What are your thoughts on the Browns offense and and moving forward this week?
0: Well, I think that's the blueprint. I think it's going to have to be similar and. you know, the Eagles' rushing defense is 26th in the league, so it's not, you know, it's not great. So 133 rushing yards allowed per game. The pass defense is ranked sixth in the league, 211.8 yards given up through the air per game. So I do look at this as a as a game where the Browns really need to rely on that bread and butter of – uh Nick Chubb and and Kareem Hunt and I just think it was such a a special return for Nick Chubb and he just had such huge moments after looking like he was knocking off the rust for most of the game and we know the weather was crazy the wind was insane Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield said it was worse than the Raiders game which was You know, wintry conditions, hail, sleet, rain, off and on throughout the afternoon. So, I thought we saw Nick Chubb come back and live up to all the hype once again. Kareem Hunt had a really, really good game. My hot take after that one was, the Browns don't have Batman and Robin. They have two Batman. I think Kareem Hunt is too good to be called Robin. So, take that, Robin. (laughs) Um... (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's it. that's it. I mean, this Eagles team, you know, they they obviously have their flaws, but they can get after the the passer, you know. And, and Baker Mayfield's not great under pressure, and so I think that you continue to help him with this great one-two punch you have in the backfield, and you got Wyatt Teller back at right guard, and you know Austin Hooper back at tight end. They want to reestablish themselves as a top rushing team in the NFL, which they were before Chubb went out for that injury with that injury and, and, you know, in the Cowboys game and missed four games as a result. So I do think it's more of the same. And what's the weather supposed to be like, by the way? I think we're in for another bizarre day.
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember what the weather is going to be like because it, it changes so frequently. I don't put that much... Thought into it, you know, four day, four or five days in advance. But um, e- even if it's half as bad as it was this past Sunday, it's it's going to be tough to throw the ball and kick the ball, by the way. Um, but let's let's talk about Nick Chubb for a second. Nate, I kind of felt like the the game he had against Houston was a game that like. If Nick Chubb gets put in the Hall of Fame, I know that's super long thinking, but if he becomes a Hall of Fame player, this is that the, the game against the Texans is the kind of game that people will define him as this guy who just keeps going, he runs hard, but then he's extremely selfless. Like, just about any other player in the NFL probably would have jumped into the end zone at the end of that game. And instead you have Nick Chubb, the humble, quiet, hardworking, incredibly hard to tackle, guy who can just run away from people, just nonchalantly steps out of bounds, and that's the game. Like I I don't know. I to me that that's like a that was a career defining game for for Nick Chubb. My being too hyperbolic about my Nick Chubb fanboyism.
0: No, I mean I, I call it a special game. I mean, because he was coming off that sprained MCL cost him four games, right? Everybody's looking at him. Like the whole city of Cleveland's looking at him. Hey Nick, you know, there the this the kickoff was delayed by thirty five minutes because the weather's so crazy. You know, throwing the ball is not gonna be realistic today. Um other than a little bit of dink and dunk. We need to put the game on your shoulders. Yeah, you're knocking off the rust. Yeah, you don't know if you can trust your knee in, in, in live action yet. You've got to kind of test it out, see if it holds up. But we're counting on you. And he And look what he did. I mean, he really, I'm telling you, he did not look like himself, but he kept going, he kept going, and he turned it on when it really mattered. So, the very end of the third quarter and then the beginning of the fourth quarter, they gave him those four consecutive carries, and he gained 35 yards on those, and the last of those four carries was a nine-yard touchdown. And if that wasn't enough, Deshaun Watson does Deshaun Watson things, the Texans score, cut their deficit to three, and then – Donovan Peoples Jones muffs that kickoff and slips. Ugh. The Browns Ugh. take over the three. So when I when the Texans score to make it ten seven, I wasn't thinking uh the Browns are in danger of blowing it here. I, I, I still felt that like they were gonna hang on. But when that kickoff ended up being such a disaster, I thought, oh boy, you know, this could be one of those meltdowns. But guess what? They have Kareem Hunt. They have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt dug them out of it from the, from the three. I think they gave him six carries there, if I remember right. I've written all this, but it's been a couple days. And and he picked up some first downs. And then uh, uh, Nick Chubb has that third and three at, at the Cleveland 40. And there's a guy in the backfield who can get him, but he he gets away from him. And he just turns that corner along the left sideline. And it is. It's 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 one of those plays that you're going to have to show when you show the Nick Chubb career highlights, because it's everything you said. It's everything John Dorsey told me about him. John Dorsey drafted him, obviously, in the second round 2018 with a high recommendation from Alonzo Highsmith, who was his VP of player personnel at the time, former NFL running back. And they just fell in love with Nick Chubb, the person, in addition to the player. And I sat in John Dorsey's office last year, shortly before the season opener, and I said, who's the one guy that you point to and tell other players, hey, be like this guy? And he said, 24, without hesitation. And he just explained that Nick Chubb is everything you want in terms of his dedication, his selflessness. Work ethic, you know, character, the teammate he is, and I think he. We always talk about action speaking louder than the words. You saw the action right there in him following that directive from the coaching staff. It was so funny. Game, even he said it was hard to pass on. Your instinct is to score, but he said he remembered when he got to the ten. That you're supposed to get down. The code word for that is no moss. Kevin Stefanski revealed that after the game. Mm. So he goes out at the one, and he was he said, yeah, good decision. We're able to take the couple of knees and and win the game. But he actually correctly analyzed after the game that he should have just taken a knee at the one to kept the clock running, and the game would have ended even sooner. Either way, an amazing moment by nick chubb and it really is very telling about nick chubb and who he is and it and it's one of those things that like there are not a lot of great nick chubb stories that you can look up because he doesn't really say much he doesn't talk much Mm -hmm. he's not like a, a media darling you can tell that you know he fulfills his media obligations but he's gonna pretty much just you know do the The bare minimum, he's not going out of his way to talk a lot. Um, But when you see moments like that, then you kind of really appreciate and understand what he's all about. Uh, Even if he's never going to tell you with his words, he is going to show you with his actions.
1: Well, and that that ultimately, after we get past this this well-deserved praising of Nick Chubb, it ultimately brings up the question, the multi-million dollar question of what the heck do the Browns do with him contractually? He he wasn't a first-round pick, so he's only on a four-year rookie contract. Of course, next year is the last year he's under contract, and we've kind of seen the trend across the NFL where unless you are... Alvin Kamara of the Saints, Christian McCaffrey of the Panthers, Dalvin Cook of the Vikings, these extremely two-way running back pass catcher players, what do you do with that contractually? Um, and I, I know we don't know the answer to that right now, Nate, but that—that that is something that Andrew Barry and his staff have to be thinking about a lot especially after seeing Chubb ice the game like he did against the Texans.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you can imagine life without Nick Chubb, and you can say that you have Kareem Hunt, and I I was complimenting Kareem Hunt's performance earlier. But it's interesting because the Browns were averaging like 205 yards a game on the ground in the first four games. They are number one in the league. They dipped down to 150 a game after those four games without Chubb. They averaged 95.5 a game on the ground without Chubb. I mean, it's it's one of those chicken and the egg things because uh, Nick Chubb's absence coincided with Kareem Hunt playing through injuries. He was on the injury report every week, limited a lot, missed some practices. It was groin, thigh, ribs. Bang, 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 This guy was playing banged up the entire time he was holding down the fort for Nick Chubb. So you saw the Browns clearly aren't what they are when they have Chubb and Hunt together, but you also didn't see a hundred percent hunt. So I think it you know you got to take that into consideration. Bottom line for me, Nick Chubb's value was very apparent regardless of all those factors (laughs) during his absence. And I think he's one of those special backs that you have to pay. I agree. And you talk about, and seriously, Dan, think about this. When you're Kevin Stefanski and you're Andrew Barry, and you talk about smart, tough, accountable football players, I'm sorry, but there's nobody who checks the boxes on that roster as emphatically as Nick Chubb right now. Smart, tough, and accountable. There are guys who check two of those boxes. You know, there are really talented guys who, you know, maybe check fewer than two boxes. But he is a superstar talent who checks all those boxes. If you're really about that, I think you put your money behind it.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, that run at the end of the game was a, as much about talent as it was about culture to me and giving Nick Chubb a contract to me would also speak to the culture that the, the Stefanski Barry regime is, is building in Cleveland. And to that point, I even think they should just see if they can do his contract after this year where you, you bump up what he makes in 21 which would then hopefully knock down how much you would pay him in 22, 23, and 24. Um, that That's what I think the Browns should do, but we'll see. I mean, that that's a long ways off, obviously.
0: Well, I got to say something about that. Sure. It, it would be very, I think, unlike the um, analytics crowd to pay a running back, like we're saying yep. they should pay Nick Chubb. But it would be very like the analytics crowd if you're going to do it to get ahead of it, to get ahead of the market. And that's what Andrew Berry did with Miles Garrett. I think that some people out there in the national media were surprised that the Browns paid Miles Garrett when they did because he was coming off that suspension. He hadn't played a down since that incident with Mason Rudolph. And you just don't know. You don't definitively know how he's going to be after a uh, traumatic event like that. Everyone, uh, you know, outside of Cleveland looking at him like a villain, looking at him like one of the most controversial figures in all of sports. Keenan Thompson playing him on SNL in like happy <laughs> <Latin> manner. <laughs> I mean, the world was against Miles Garrett. Obviously, he screwed up big time. I'm just saying, you didn't know how he was gonna react. That's this is the reason they're sports psychologists. I mean, it it's the reason why there's an industry, because sometimes things like that happen and guys are never the same. So you Despite that, Andrew Barry took a little risk and thought, hey, I'm going to beat the market here because if I don't, and Miles is going to respond to this fallout the way I think he will with a Defensive Player of the Year caliber season, then I'm going to end up paying a lot more than I would have otherwise. He beat the Joey Bosa contract. He beat it by two weeks, remember? Mm Mm-hmm. And that ended up being a hell of a lot more lucrative contract than the one Miles Garrett got. So my point is if Andrew Barry is going to commit to Nick Chubb the way we think he should, it would be very Andrew berry like to kind of beat the market to the punch by doing it this coming off season as opposed to waiting.
1: Right. Well said. And so obviously we'll, we'll, Continue to watch that and see what happens there, because then it will bring the uh, the questions about Baker Mayfield's contract into, into play, Denzel Ward's contract into play and and stuff like that. So, we'll of course, we'll continue watching that moving forward real quickly. Nate, uh, last couple things, then we'll get out of here. I feel vindicated pumping up Ronnie Harrison and yeah, he played every snap on Sunday. Against the Texans, he played really well. Am I wrong in categorizing him as the now full-time starting safety for the Browns?
0: No, you're absolutely right, and it's kind of funny because <laughs> for whatever reason, the Browns they put out these depth charts. Now, the PR department calls them unofficial depth charts, mm-hmm. and they announce inactives and lineups change lineup changes before the game so for whatever reason even though this was the third consecutive game this past sunday that harrison started they actually announced it as a lineup change because he still wasn't listed as a starter on their depth chart they put out the new depth chart today and he is a starter (laughs) which we already know because he started these three games he's actually (laughs) started four games now and would have been five in a row but he had the concussion after his first start that interrupted that. So yeah, he's definitely the starter. It was the first time he had played all the defensive snaps for them. And he played well. And Kevin Stefanski says he's playing at a high level. It's interesting to me when you get past Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, isn't there an argument that he's the you know, third best defensive player? I mean, I, I like Sheldon Richardson a lot and have a lot of respect for him. Um so, you know, maybe it's too soon to put Ronnie Harrison above him. Um, you know, I mean Larry Ogunjobi has that potential when he's healthy uh, and feeling good to, to be one of the, you know, top five defensive players, I think. But really, if you look around, I, I think there's a real argument for Ronnie Harrison to be number three right now, and that's great news for the Browns. Uh, it is interesting to me what's going on elsewhere at safety because Carl Joseph didn't play a snap. Uh, on Sunday. So, as a result of Harrison's rise, Joseph has really fallen off. Yet, Sendejo continues to play a free safety. Now, Sheldrick Redwine did get 17 snaps, dipping into Sendejo's workload. So, you know, I think they're trying to see if Redwine can handle more in, in Sendejo. Um, might not be that every down guy he has for the vast majority of the season, if they have more faith than Redwine, as this thing moves along. And we've kind of been eyeing that and talking about it for a while. I'd be interested to see if Joseph can can get himself in the conversation at all. It's funny because a lot of these defensive coaches say strong safety, free safety. It doesn't matter. They're interchangeable in our system well then they act like they really matter <laughs> and, and now all of a sudden Carl Joseph can't play he can't take snaps from Sandejo at free safety and things like that so I don't know we'll see how it unfolds but at least Harrison is out there like he should be all the time now
1: yeah and the, the most exciting thing about that you know just dovetailing into the Nick Chubb part of it Ronnie Harrison's 23 and he's also under contract next season and Super freaking cheap. So, um, I I don't know. I, I'm just excited about watching him play, and it's made me forget a little bit about the issues that the Browns have had at safety, which you which you brought up. Um, so now I'm 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 conflicted how I feel about the safety spot for the Browns again.
0: Well, but, I mean Harrison has made it way better. Yeah, he uh, he's the best safety right now by far. Yeah. Now, looking ahead a little bit. You get Grant Delpit back next year, then you got your bona fide free safety to go with Harrison at strong safety. But right now, I just think that they need to, they still need to kind of figure out free safety. Uh, You know, it is positive they have one guy playing really well back there at strong safety. So it's better than it was. It's still not great. Maybe they find something in red wine that gives them a little more comfort and lets them. You know, kind of not give up on Sendejo all the way because I just don't see that co- this coaching staff doing that. They seem so loyal to him, right? But maybe lessening his load.
1: Yeah, and if that happens, I think it'll be a positive thing. Um, last thing, Nate, and then we'll get out of here. Do you have any thoughts on on this Eagles game? I mean, they're like I said before, the three, five, and one. They're at the top of a calamitous and awful. NFC East, um, their quarterback situation seems to be eroding rapidly uh, with Carson Wentz, who is just not the player he was in 2017. And my golly, that's several years from in the past. So um, the Eagles are a team, Nate, that I think are bad, but it's also a historically Pretty tough team, good team, pretty good coaching. I I'm leaning a Browns win, but I I don't think this is the same feeling I had before the Texans game. What what are you? What's your first inclination on on this game for the Browns?
0: I'm gonna pick the Browns. Uh, you know, I, I just. Out of the two teams coming in, I was a little more worried about the Texans mm. just because of Deshaun Watson. I I have so much respect for him, and I think he is uh, such a dynamic player. And you know, he showed that at, at times on Sunday. Now the Browns are really helped by the elements, and you know, grounded any kind of reliable passing game for most of the the afternoon. And, you know, Deshaun Watson's electric with his feet. Miles Garrett stepped up and, and made a Defensive Player of the Year-type play on a crucial quarterback draw. And fourth and two uh, in in the second quarter. Got the stop there. So, I think it's going to be a tight game again. I think it could be another wacky weather game. Uh, you know looking ahead a little bit on some of the forecasts, it has that potential. But who really knows? I I think that just the Eagles' minus seven turnover differential stands out as one of the worst in the league. The Browns, plus four, one of the best in the league. You know, the Browns didn't get any takeaways uh, against the Texans. They've been so good at that. But they did get that turnover on downs I just mentioned, which is like one. So... You know, I, I just kind of think that with Nick Chubb back, um, with a, playing another poor run defense, and you're really going to want to not only lean on the run because of the backs you have and the line you have, but because the Eagles can bring the pressure, and, and you don't want to subject Baker Mayfield to that. Again, the conditions might also force you to really lean on that run. I just think it's a matchup when you look at that turnover differential and, and the other factors I just mentioned that favors the Browns. So I am going to go with the Browns. I don't have a score right now. But, I mean, Dan, 7-3 <laughs> if they if they take care of business here. 8-3 if they take care of business in Jacksonville. And then to circle back to what you said, going to Nashville, Tennessee with that record, in Week 13, that could be a lot of fun.
1: It it really could be. And I, I think for this Eagles game, all you have to do is remind Miles Garrett that he only got credited for half a sack against Houston somehow. And this might be another game where he just goes off and creates another one of these turnovers that he's been prone to doing this season and that the Eagles have been prone to allowing. And I also think this is going to be a big uh, Jedrick Wills game, to be honest. You mentioned the pass rushing of the Eagles. That's what they do, that that wide nine pass rush where the where the defensive end is out extremely wide. Um, so I, to me, I think this is this is going to be a good Jedrick Wills game. It's going to be a potentially monstrous Miles Garrett game. And if that's the case, I think it's, it's a Browns win, too, and that goes without saying what they should get out of this 2 Batman approach uh, in, in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Browns moving forward with coronavirus. We'll have full coverage of that over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Nate, of course, will uh, break that news on Twitter as it becomes by Nate Ulrich. We'll have a lot more up over on the site uh, leading up to the game as well. So check that out. There's some good stuff in the works. So thanks everybody for listening this week and we will talk to you next time.